Hello, my friend. This is Pastor Christopher Alam. I trust you are doing well and that the hand of the Lord is upon you and you are blessed. Praise the Lord. And uh, we are talking about the power of the blood of Jesus and we will continue on with that subject. But uh, hey, I must tell you, I must share something with you that is in my heart. In the past few days, uh, the, the, uh, there's two things I saw. Firstly, um, I saw on YouTube, I saw the testimony of Little Richard. Uh, Little Richard, as you know, he died a couple of months ago. He was a famous rock and roll uh, movie, you know, a rock and roll star. And, uh, you know, he, he, was a, he was an amazing guy musically, but he was, very, he was very messed up, a very mixed up individual. And because he had been a Christian and he had backslid and living a very depraved, sinful life, but then, you know, he made things right with God. And I saw that testimony. Uh, it was filmed two years ago and he was old, but wonderful. The way he talked about Jesus and uh, it was just beautiful. And, um, and then, you know, and that really, really touched me. And so then the other thing is that a couple of days ago, I read the testimony of Ben Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger was the quarterback for the uh, Steelers and and I mean he you know there were some pretty bad things about him uh, in the press some years ago but his life he has turned his life around and put and you know and God has done a great thing in his life and and he's now serving the Lord so you know these things touch me because uh, these days in the news you read such terrible things it's not just the pandemic and the and the and, uh, you know, and this uh, COVID-19 disease that is spreading through some of the states here in the U.S. Uh, here in Pennsylvania, it's getting better, but in, because we have a good governor, he managed to keep things under control. But in some of the states, it is going crazy and people are dying. And, uh, and in Africa, South America, it's going really, really bad. So you read that. Then you read about people who are protesting on the streets and some of them are violent. I mean, this all kinds of political, social upheavals. But when I read these testimonies, I realized this, that no matter what is happening in the world, Jesus is still saving sinners and the gospel is still powerful and doing its work. And that's what it's all about because everything else in the world is temporal and is bound to pass away. You know, politicians and presidents and people, whether they be good or bad or right or wrong, they will all pass away. But the gospel is eternal and triumphant and Jesus Christ is still the same yesterday, today and forever. And people whose lives are changed, they are the ones who stand as testimonies to the glory of God. So I just wanted to share that with you because, you know, people are concerned, people are worried, some people are discouraged, but you know what? There's a lot to be encouraged about. And I remember the words of an old pastor years ago, I'm talking about 40 years ago, and I'll never forget. I mean, he spoke very fast. You know, I, we had, my wife and I had come from Sweden and we were in America and we didn't, we, we, you know, I mean, we spoke English, but we didn't understand this very fast Americans that people spoke down in Oklahoma and Texas. And so he was speaking so fast and he was shouting. And I don't remember a thing of his sermon, believe me, because he didn't take any gaps between his sentences. He just went on and on shouting at the top of his voice. But then he paused and he said this one sentence, and I have never forgotten that. And that's what he says, 
Why are you so discouraged when there is so much to be encouraged about? Why are you so discouraged when there is so much to be encouraged about? And that's what I want you to know. If you look around you, if you listen, there is so much to be encouraged about. So much because God is still moving and working in this earth and he's working in the lives of men. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. So anyway, so I'm going to the next point. We are talking about the power of the blood of Jesus. And yesterday we talked about the blood of Jesus is pure and holy. <coughs> Sorry. And uh, today I want to tell you this, that the blood of Jesus is the only means of salvation available to man. Is the only means of salvation available to man. Like when Peter and John, when they, uh, you know, when they um, raised up the lame man at the temple and uh, at the beautiful gate of the temple, that man had been lame for 37 years. He was born lame. It says he was paralyzed from his mother's womb. And in chapter, uh, that was in chapter three and chapter four of the book of Acts, it says that uh, he had been lame for 37 years. So, so for 37 years, he was a 37 year old man and he had been paralyzed since before he was born. And so he had been paralyzed all his life. And Peter walked up to him and said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and, rise up and walk. And he took the man's hand, pulled him up and the man was healed. But Anyway, when Peter and John are later on called to the high priests uh, and to the others to give account of this because they were very angry because this thing had been done through the name of Jesus. And then Peter, it says he got full of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he said. He says, salvation is not found in any other. Neither is there any other name given uh, among men on earth, among men by which man can be saved. So my point is, the blood of Jesus is the only means of salvation available to man. Salvation is not found in any other. It is only found in Jesus and the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation, of forgiveness and cleansing from sin that is available to man. And Leviticus 17, 11 says, for the life of flesh is in the blood and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So in Leviticus, what he's basically talking about is the life of flesh in the blood is in the blood and I've given it to you on the altar to, to make atonement for your souls, for your souls. Because in the Old Testament, under the law of Moses, we find that principle that innocent animals had to be innocent, unblemished, pure and perfect animals had to shed their blood to cover the sins of guilty human beings. So, uh, so this is what the word of the Lord says, that the life of the flesh is in the blood. That means the life of the innocent has to be shed for the life of the guilty. And it says that the blood, it is the blood that makes atonement for life, for sinners. So the blood of Jesus was shed upon the cross to make atonement for you and me. In the Old Testament, it was animals. But as I said yesterday, animal, those animals could only cover 
the sins of sinners and that also for a year and after a year that process had to be repeated again but now it says that this sacrifice is made for once and for all. You know, it's very interesting because if you read in the Old Testament, what would happen is this. This is really astounding. I didn't know if you know this, but uh, the, everybody used to gather together the temple and then uh, they used to take these two goats or sheep and they used to uh, sacrifice one of, the, of those animals and and put the the carcass of the animal on the altar and sprinkle the blood of that animal and then what would happen the other animal would be taken to the desert far away and it was and the priest would actually actually lay his hands <coughs> upon that animal's head and that would mean that the sins of of people are being uh, transferred to that animal, then that animal would be taken to the out to the desert where it would die, and uh, that's where we uh, the carrying the sins of the animal. But then the blood of this other animal was put upon the altar that was also to cover sins. And what would happen? That's where we get the word scapegoat. Scapegoat when somebody else takes the blame for somebody else. That's interesting. That's where the word scapegoat comes from because this goat carried the sins of the people to the desert and uh, where it died. But anyway, what would happen once that blood sacrifice would was met, the priest would enter into the holiest of holies. And what they would do is that if, if that's blood sacrifice, if the sacrifice was accepted by God, he would make that sacrifice, that he would go before God and then he would come out and then the people would know that God has accepted the sacrifice. But if the Lord did not accept the sacrifice, when he entered into the holiest of holies, he would die. He would actually die. So what they used to do, that they used to put some bells on the priest's, uh, I think his ankle or his leg, they used to put some bells there. Then they used to tie a rope to his, to his ankle and they used to, as long as the bells were ringing, the people knew that he's okay, you know. And so they would wait to hear and they would hear the bells ringing and got fainter and fainter. And then it got quiet and everybody's doing now. He's doing, you know, he's doing his thing before the presence of God. And then if it was very quiet for a long time, then they knew that the priest had been struck down. He was dead because God had not accepted the sacrifice. Then he used to pull his body out using that rope. They used to pull that body out. But if God had accepted sacrifice, after some time they used to hear the bells ringing again, got louder and louder. Then he would come out before the people out of the holy place and everyone would rejoice because God had accepted the sacrifice. So it was always through the shedding of blood. Uh, sacrifice and it says in Hebrews 9.22, it says under the law, almost everything is purified by means of blood and without the shedding of blood, there is neither release from sin and its guilt, nor the remission of the due and merited permission of uh, punishment of sins. Okay, so it says here under the law, under the law of Moses, everything, all purification was done by the means of blood. Everything, or it was only through blood that, you know, that anything was purified. And it says, and without the shedding of blood, there is neither release from sin or its guilt. So 
you know, the temple was a very bloody place. Oh my goodness, there were animals being sacrificed there. You could hear the sounds of sheep bleating, bleed, uh, bleating and their sacrifice would be made and there was blood everywhere because it was only through the shedding of blood that God would accept anything. And so it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no release from sin or guilt or remission of the due and merited permission of uh, punishment of sin. That means that without the shedding of blood, a person cannot be released from his sins, neither can he be released from his guilt, and he must face the punishment for his, for his sins. And, the, and that punishment is, as the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Another place says, the soul that sinneth must die. There's no way out of it. So God cannot just, you know, wave off sin and say, oh, it's okay. You know, I know you guys, it's okay. All right, it's all right. Don't worry about it. He doesn't do that. But sin has to be punished. The sinner has to die. And that is why Jesus came and shed his blood because of his blood, because of the sacrifice he made, we are released from sin and we are released from guilt. That means that we are released from sin and guilt is actually caused by sin. And we are released from sin and we are released from guilt and we are released from the punishment of sin. Hallelujah. Because Jesus Christ took our place upon the cross. He bore not only our sins, but he also bore the punishment of our sins. And since he bore our sins and he bore the punishment for, of our sins through the shedding of his blood, so through his blood, we can be free from sin. We are totally free from sin. When I gave my life to Jesus on the street, on the 13th of December, 1975, when I gave my life to Jesus, you know what happened? I was released from my sin. My sins were totally forgiven. And not only that, but I was released from the guilt of my sins. I was released from the guilt of my sins. And, and then it said, and then I don't have to punish, be, be punished or pay the price for my sins anymore because Jesus Christ, he paid the price for my sins. Hallelujah. Praise God. John 1.29. So I'm talking about the blood of Jesus is the only means of salvation available to man. So the blood of Jesus. And what makes Jesus unique is, you know what? Look, if you look at all these biblical figures, these great men in the Bible, Abraham, Moses, none of them went to the cross and shed his blood. If you look at the founders of all these great and famous religions in the world, there's so many of them, none of the founders of these religions uh, shed their own blood for sinners like you and me upon the cross. Only Jesus did that. So, you know, all religions, great religions have great teachings. And I admit that you go to any study, any religion, you learn some good things. But here's the thing. None of those religions can take away my sin because the founders of those religions didn't die upon a cross for sinners like you and me. But Jesus did. He shed his blood for you and me. And that is why we can be saved because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, but Jesus shed his blood. So we are free from our sins, from our guilt, 
and we don't have to bear the punishment for our sins. In John 1.29, it says the next day, John saw Jesus coming to him and said, Look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hallelujah. So John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he identified him and this is what he said. He said, he is the Lamb of God. He, because those people around him who were listening to him were Jews. Uh, you know, they, they, they were all Jews. And so they, they understood what the Lamb of God, what the Lamb was. The Lamb was the sacrifice to take away people's sins. And so they knew that the Lamb of God was the sacrifice offered by God to take away the sins of man. So there were many lambs, but they, but the Lamb of God was different. So they understood when they when John the, what John the Baptist meant that he was the Lamb of God. And then he says he takes away the sins of the world. So here is a man who is actually a sacrificial lamb sent by God. And the only purpose of his walking on this earth is that he came to take away the sins of the world. And the difference between him and those other lambs were like those other lambs could only cover sins, but he would actually take away all sins. Hallelujah. So Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God and John the Baptist said, see, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, Jesus Christ is the one who came to die for the sins of mankind. And so we know that the death of Jesus wasn't by accident. That was God's purpose, divine purpose. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. And this, uh, you know, this is very interesting. I mean, this, this passage of scripture, it says, For since the law merely has a rude outline or foreshadowing of the good things to come, instead of fully expressing those things, it can never by offering the same sacrifice that continually year by year make perfect those who approach its altar. So <clears throat> first thing you have to understand that everything in the Old Testament, the law of Moses, all that, it's actually a type and a foreshadow of, of, uh, of Christ because the reality is found in Jesus. Everything you read in the Old Testament is a type and a shadow. So when he's talking about those sacrifices they made in the Old Testament to cover the sins of the people, those sacrifices were actually foreshadows, types and shadows of the real, the ultimate, the eternal sacrifice that was Jesus, the Lamb of God. So if you look at those sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament, you understand that those sacrifices were only a type and shadow of the real sacrifice, Jesus Christ. So it says, since the law has merely a rough outline or a foreshadowing of the good things to come, uh, instead of fully expressing those things. So the law just gives a shadow and never fully expresses it. It can never, by offering the same sacrifice continually, year by year, make perfect those who approach its altars. So in other words, people used to come to the, uh, to the temple, you know, penitence, seeking forgiveness of sin. And every year, year after year, they had to make those sacrifices that would not take away their sins, but only cover their sins. Then it says, verse 2, for if it were otherwise, would these sacrifices not have stopped being offered? Since the worship 
worshippers had once for all been cleansed, they would no longer have any guilt of consciousness of sin. He says, now, if those animal sacrifices were perfect and they met the, and they met the needs of the people uh, and cleansed people, took away their sins and took away their guilt and cleansed their conscience, he said, if that was, uh, and, and these sacrifices were no longer needed, he said, wouldn't, have, wouldn't they cease making those sacrifices? Because those worshippers who came to the temple to seek uh, forgiveness for the sins would have been forgiven and cleansed once and for all. And they would never have any guilt or consciousness of sin. Just remember, the guilt or consciousness of sin. Now, this is very important because the consciousness of sin is living under sin consciousness. And that is why, that is when you say, well, I'm redeemed, I'm saved by the blood of Jesus, but there's that sin always hangs over you like a shadow. So there's uh, two levels, two dimensions of sin consciousness. One is, one is this inward guilt from your heart. And believe me, that is of the devil. This inward guilt from the heart that doesn't, you believe Jesus has taken my sins. I believe I've been forgiven, yet you feel guilty for things you have done. You know, it doesn't make any sense, does it? That is of the devil. That is sin. That is guilt. The other is sin consciousness. Sin consciousness is, isn't that just a little nagging thing in your heart? That's something bigger. That's almost like it's not inside, but kind of hangs over your head like a cloud in everything you do, making you feel guilty all the time, even if there's no reason. You feel like, generally speaking, now guilt, guilt is because of things that you have done. That's what makes you feel guilty. But sin consciousness, it is uh, not because of anything specific that you have done, but it is uh, the fact that, you know, I'm still a sinner. I won't get, up, get out of it. And that's why people say, well, I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. You know, it's almost like, you know, nothing has really changed in my nature. I'm still a sinner, but, but I'm saved by grace. You know, I honestly, I don't really understand what people means by that. But what it says that, uh, that these animal sacrifices, they did not cleanse from guilt or the consciousness of sin. In other words, the blood of Jesus cleanses from guilt and the consciousness of sin. But he says, but as it is, these sacrifices annually bring a fresh remembrance of sins to be atoned for. He says, because the blood, verse 4, because the blood of bulls and goats is powerless to take sins away. The blood of bulls and goats are powerless. They cannot take the sins, our sins away. Verse 5, hence when he, Christ, entered into the world, when Jesus came to the world, this is what he said. He said, sacrifices, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but instead you have made ready a body for me to offer. He says, God, you have not desired any more of these animal sacrifices, but you have given me this physical body to offer as a sacrifice. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you take no delight. Says God, you're not pleased anymore in these burnt offerings and these sin offerings that people made. And then I said, behold, here I am coming to do your will, O God, to fulfill what is written of me in the volume of the book. So what he's saying when Jesus came to this world, he says, God, you don't desire these uh, these, uh, you know, these sacrifices and these offerings, but uh, I have come. Here's my body. 
and I have come here to sacrifice myself. And he says, not only that, but I'm here to do your will as it is written about me in the volume of the book, because the Old Testament does point to Jesus. And John the Baptist did say Jesus was the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. So he says, I'm here to fulfill your word and I'm the one who has come to die for the sins of mankind. And when he said just before, you have neither desired nor have you taken delight in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, all of which are according to the law. He says, he then went on to say, behold, here I am coming to do your will. Thus he does away and annuls the first former order as a means of expiating sin so that he might inaugurate and establish the second order. So what it says here, this is important that when Jesus came to this world, he knew he came to die upon the cross he also annuls the first order. He came to totally uh, do away with and annul uh, and totally, uh, you know, take away the old order. And the old order was the sacrifice of animals, uh, you know, that continual uh, year by year sacrificing of animals to cover the sins of the people. He does away with that. So when Jesus died upon the cross, not only did he die for us to take our sins, but he annuls, he totally nullifies the old order of things and of, of, you know, of taking away sin. And he establishes the new order and the new order, it says, and this is the new order in verse 10, in accordance with this will of God, we have been made holy consecrated and sanctified through the offering made once for all by the blood of Jesus Christ, the anointing one, anointed one. I'm reading from the Amplified. It says the old order was annual sacrifices year after year, year after year. But it says in the new order of things, he says, we have been made holy, you and I, through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice that he made upon the cross, you and I have been consecrated. We have been made holy once and for all. It is done once and for all. And it says here, verse 11, furthermore, every human priest stands at his altar of service, ministering daily, offering the same sacrifices over and over again, which never are able to strip from every one of us the sins that envelop us and take them away. That means every human priest, he stands at the altar year after year, offering the same sacrifices year after year. He talked about the Jewish priests in the temple. He said, but the sacrifices they make are never able to take away the sins that surround us. Whereas this one, Christ, after he had offered a single sacrifices for our sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. But Jesus, he made one sacrifice. He's not like those other priests who stand before the altar year after year, making them same sacrifice again and again, knowing that those sacrifices are never enough to cleanse us all the sins that surround us and envelop us. But Jesus, he made that one sacrifice that avails for all of us for all time. He took away all our sins, took away our sin consciousness and our guilt, and he ascended to heaven 
where he's seated at the right hand of God. What a wonderful savior we serve. Well, that's our lesson for today and we'll go into more tomorrow. God bless you. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters and their families. I thank you, Lord, that you bore our sicknesses and diseases and infirmities and by your stripes we have been healed. I thank you for your grace upon your lives, upon our lives, your goodness, your mercy. Thank you, Father, for continued blessings. Use us for your glory in Jesus' name. Anyway, God bless you and I'll be seeing you again tomorrow and we are going to talk about uh, more about the blood of Jesus.